0: This is the Digital Nomad Quest podcast with Sharon Sung, teaching people how to build passive income, become financially free, and design their best lives. Hey guys, it's Sharon from Digital Nomad Quest, and I am super excited for today's episode because we are interviewing Pat Flynn, who is the founder of Smart Passive Income. He's changed the lives of tons of people around the world, including myself, because what he does is he helps people build passive income-driven online businesses in an ethical way so he's given all this value for free online and he just helped tons of people out there. Pat Flynn himself has created this empire that makes over seven figures a year in passive income and he's gotten 50 million downloads on his podcast. He has hundreds of thousands of subscribers, spoken at hundreds of conferences. He's even featured in Gary V's book Crushing It. He is a top player influencing people all around the world so I really think this episode is going to help you guys a lot. It helped me a lot. This episode is all about building up your brand, so getting your brand to the next level. I ask him tons of questions about podcasting, YouTube, blog, email, everything. So I cover tons of topics. It's a two-hour interview, so I hope you guys get a lot of value out of it, and hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Pat, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you, Sharon? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me today. It's really cool to be able to speak with you. I mean, I met you four years ago at the Traffic and Conversion Summit.
1: Wow, um, that, was, yeah. that was that feels like ages ago.
0: Yeah, that was so long ago and um, I remember being so excited to kind of hit up your podcasting seminar and you were nice enough to chat with me and stay in touch with me. So really thank you for that and I just really respect that you make it a point to connect and engage with your audience.
1: Yeah, I mean it's one of my favorite things to do and if there's one thing I've learned since doing business for like 10 years now it's that it's always about the people, the people that you help. It's the people you connect with who can tell you what they need help with and thus help you create solutions and then everybody wins. And so in my business, in my world, and the way I teach business is I teach people how to have conversations with people. I teach people how to connect with their audience. That's one thing that I try to lead by example with, which is how we got connected. I got really interested in what you were up to and all the amazing music that you produce and the music videos. Like That's the coolest thing ever. Um, so it was, it was cool. I, it was, the, the feeling's mutual.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. I mean, I haven't been doing music that much lately, but I'm trying to get back into it, want to grow um, my blog and my brand. And that's actually kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today. In today's video and podcast, I want to talk about growing a brand. I'm currently at a place where I've been blogging for like a few years and making a bit of passive income, but a lot of it's coming from Etsy and Amazon. And I'm trying to do more with my blog and make a bigger impact. I want to... Kind of use YouTube and podcasting and get it all to the next level and I know you've um, done the same thing you've like diversified into these other platforms not just blogging so I uh, wanted to talk to you about that so my plan was to produce video content like once a week convert that audio into podcast episodes as well and then launch courses and do affiliate marketing so I guess my question is is does that sound okay in terms of frequency and then what I mean, what would you do in my position, I guess?
1: Whether it's you or anybody else listening or watching this uh, to this right now, the platforms and the frequency by which you produce content is secondary to truly understanding what your audience needs help with and who those people are. Going back to what we mentioned earlier about people, it always starts there. I mean, I have a best-selling book called Will It Fly? And when you go through that process of testing and validating your ideas and then creating courses or selling anything, it always starts with communication with your audience. And so it's really cool to know that you've already got a little bit of a head start with some of these smaller passive income things that you've done. And I would try to really hone in on who is it that's buying from you and and what are their needs? What are their goals? And then the podcast content, the video content comes secondary to that because it's a way for you to use those platforms to speak to those people. And the more that you can answer their questions, the more that you can interact with them if possible, the better and this is what google is awarding this is what youtube is awarding people who find answers to their questions those people who supply those answers they get rewarded they get put to the top of the algorithms and that's what that's that's great because we have the answers so you know you could do that through conversations with people if you have an email list or you have social media accounts just what I would do is try to get in conversations with people one-on-one. That's the best way to do it. It's, it's a tough thing to do, and for introverts like me, and I, I'm pretty sure most people are introverts, in my opinion, who try to get into business who aren't naturally, quote, naturally good at it. Um, it's because we're scared to talk to people, and that's why it seems like the people who are always at the top are these exuberant, very outgoing kind of people. It's because they have a little bit of an advantage. They are okay with talking to people. And that's what we as introverts have to do. We have to step out of our comfort zone so that we can talk to people. But in terms of like frequency, it doesn't really matter as long as you're consistent. And so I I would say weekly producing on YouTube, starting with that platform first and then taking the audio out. What this does is it allows you to get more bang for your buck from that initial piece of content. It's a very smart thing to do. So taking the audio out of your video, putting that into a podcast, you can even then go further and repurpose it by taking the text out of that audio. Uh, the transcription and then using that as a blog post, and then taking micro snippets of that and turning that into pieces that can go on social media that then all lead up to the bigger sort of video or the podcast and the whole episode. You see a lot of people do this, Gary Vaynerchuk lewis house from school of greatness they take little pieces of their interviews little pieces of bigger content and they share those and they're about very specific things so let's say we do an interview together and maybe it's this one and there's a part in the middle that's a minute long 60 seconds that's just like wow so impactful you take that and then you can post that on instagram on facebook on twitter and that becomes something that piques people's interest so that they'll go wow i need I need to see this whole conversation or Wow, I didn't know this Pat Flynn guy, but he sounds really interesting. Like, I'm going to go check him out. Or, wow, I love the question that Sharon asked. Then I want, I need to know the rest of the story. And again, it's going back to the people and and what would interest them based on their needs, their problems, their wants. Um, and and that's, I think that sounds like a great plan. So, you know, in, in terms of platforms, yeah, totally. I would just challenge you to to see if you can have those one on one conversations with people, because then in those conversations, you can say things like hey, what are you struggling with the most? That's a beautiful question to ask people because then they're gonna tell you. And not only are they gonna tell you what they need help with, which then triggers in your mind, okay, maybe I should create a podcast episode about that or find an expert I can interview who knows about those things. But what it also does is it allows you to understand the language that they use. really important to understand because even if you know the problem and you create the solution, if you don't know the language that they're using to describe the problem, you can't tell them you have the solution in a way that they, they would understand. I think it was Jay Abraham who said, if you can define the problem better than your target customer, they're gonna automatically assume you have the solution. So in your videos, in your podcast episodes, if you speak to those problems that people have and you get them to go like, yeah, that's totally me or oh my gosh, like how did Sharon get in my head? How does she know that I'm going through the situation right now? Like it's as if she's right there with me. And then in your podcast interviews, trying to get into the head of your audience, again, going back to who they are and what they need, By trying to tap into what questions they might ask, if they were in that room with you having a conversation with that person, then that's when they go, wow, Sharon gets me. This is my girl. I need to follow everything she does because she obviously knows what I'm going through, and she is finally somebody who I, I know understands. So paying attention to the language is really important. It's just like in music, right? Like the example I use is with my wife. She's a huge Backstreet Boys fan. And I was asking her about how she got to be a fan. And the first kind of time she remembered listening to to their music. And it was because she had just broken up up with her boyfriend. She was 15. 15 15-year-old teenage girl. Really upset about that relationship. Then heard a song called Quit Playing Games With My Heart. Every single lyric in that song spoke to what she was going through in that moment. And because of that, that triggered in her mind, like, wow, this this group, like, they they know what I'm talking about. Like they understand, they're using my language. And that's a language that a teenage girl would use, right? Like, quit playing games with my heart. Like that's what they would say. And you think of like Taylor Swift fans, they're all over her because she speaks their language. And any any musician speaks the language of their audience because they they are themselves, like great musicians are themselves. And like I said earlier, your vibe attracts your tribe. You'll, you'll attract those, those people. And it's kind of a two-way conversation. So that's a long-winded answer to say, yes, I think the platforms you're choosing are great and the plan you have for repurposing content is awesome. And if you can combine that in that Venn diagram of platform to the problems and needs, then that middle part's going to be the, the beauty area that's going to help your brand grow and help uh, really word of mouth spread and have it happen organically.
0: Cool. Wow. That's like such a good answer. Thanks. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I know you sent out this email newsletter in the beginning where you ask, I think what uh, stage they're in and like what problems they're going through. Mm -hmm. Do you individually ask people or do you kind of mass do it through your email platform? So
1: if I happen to be in a one-to-one conversation on social media, I'll often send them a DM and go, Hey, Mm -hmm. by the way, like, uh, super cool that you're following me. I appreciate it if if you could answer one question for me, you know, what's your number one biggest challenge related to blank? or what's mm-hmm. your biggest struggle right now that I can maybe find answers for you for? Um, and it's very easy to do on social media. People are used to having conversations right like that. And it's kind of cool, especially because sometimes we're so used to getting people sending us DMs, asking for things, this is like unique you're getting a DM of a person asking how they can help you That's very like, whoa, this is different I, I need to pay attention to this person so that's number one but on my email list, the way that I set it up is on my email list I give away a little bit of like a free value it might be a PDF file to you know how to start your podcast or a PDF file on tips on affiliate marketing like just kind of a couple pages very valuable but people will in exchange for that give me their email address and then one of the first emails I send out after is an email that says exactly that, but in a more automated fashion. So it's an email that I pre-write and I use an email service provider called ConvertKit. There's many other different kinds like it. And what it does is um, I can time it so that those emails go out uh, you a know, certain amount of days after they subscribe. So what happens is a person, again, in a very different way, gets an email from somebody going, hey, how can I help you or what are you struggling with? versus hey, here's an email, go buy my stuff. So now, again, triggering them in a, in a similar way, like, oh, this person's actually looking to see what I need help with. That's cool. But also then they answer. And again, they're telling you in their, in their language and in, in, their, in their voice. And what I like about the email situation is I can keep track of those replies. I can automatically put them in a folder so that when I need ideas for what content to create or when I want to see if there's any patterns for like, recurring things that people are asking for, that that is a sign to me that, wow, that's a very important thing I need to figure out how to answer. And that could turn into a blog post, that could turn into a, a video or a podcast. Or if it's asked for a lot and it's a big topic, maybe it's a course that people would pay for. And then I can go through the validation process of seeing you know, how best I can provide a solution for them. But yeah, the automated thing is great because like, if you subscribe today, Like tomorrow, you'll get that email. But then if somebody subscribes tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, they'll get that email. So now as a content creator, I have constant flow of ideas that I don't have to guess anymore. Like these are coming straight from the mouths, the ears, the fingers of my audience. And so again, they're guiding me. They're guiding me. My, My goal in business is to teach people how to take the guesswork out. And it always goes back to the person that you're helping.
0: Awesome. Man, so, such good answers and actually wanted to ask you more about email because I, I just got ConvertKit actually and okay. I want to like utilize it and I use your link too. So
1: Why did you why did you use my link?
0: Well, I've been listening to a ton of your podcasts actually. Ask Pat has been super good. Cool. So I just wanted to support you and just like everything you've helped me with, with the podcast and everything.
1: Cool. I so to- I, I was able to create content myself through the podcast and whatever that helped you in your life for whatever you need needed help with. So as a result, you wanted to pay me back and you uh, seeked out an affiliate link, which I have made publicly, you know, available on my website to pay me back. And I make that clear like, hey, if you go through this link, it'll be an easy way to pay me back if you've gotten any value from me. So it's kind of a win for both sides. And there's Mm -hmm. no reason why anybody can't do the same thing. I mean, how many times do we recommend our favorite movie to our friends or a restaurant down the street to our friends? It's literally the same thing. Mm -hmm. Earn trust over time because we've helped each other out. We're buddies, and you can be buddies in real life. And real life includes online. And uh, when I have a recommendation, like people who trust me, are going to try it, and that's the cool thing. But that that comes with a lot of responsibility too. You know, especially at my level where I have an email list of you know two hundred and fifty thousand people, and I can I can literally say, hey, go buy this product, and and thousands of people will buy it. Like that's cool. Mm-hmm. but also very scary because if I promote something for the wrong reasons, then it's going to come back and bite me in the butt. Yeah. Like it's going to, it's going to like, even though if I promote a product because it has a big commission uh, tied to it, like sure, I might get a big payday, but I'm also going to get a bunch of people go going, Hey Pat, like this doesn't, this doesn't align with your brand. It didn't work for me. Like you, like it said it was going to work. It, it just, it, I don't like this product. And now I don't trust you anymore. Mm-hmm. That trust that you have with your audience is the most important thing. That's the new digital currency is Trust with your audience because that turns into people transacting with you. So um, yeah, I mean you're displaying the example of what it's like to have a creator share value and then having a person as a result to thank that person. You know, purchase through a link and then I get paid. You get a tool that you love, and everybody wins. And you are building that sort of uh, clout right now. At the same time, and there's going to be people in the future who maybe listen to this who go, you know what, Sharon had a really great podcast episode there and. Uh, she mentioned ConvertKit for my email service provider and I'm going to look for her link because she helped me out and it's just a nice way to kind of have good vibes and you know I I can't remember who I think it was a woman named Nicole Dean literally like nine years ago uh, ago who said Pat like whenever you do business just try to make the internet a better place like if that's the only thing you remember from this conversation we have and i think it was an inter- podcast interview I, I i did with her um she was just like just trying to make the internet a better place like everybody wins when that happens and and you will you will be rewarded for that so that's my advice for you is just like how can you make the internet a better place or a better place especially for your audience
0: yeah definitely i think it's all about providing value and i guess going back to the different platforms um was there one that kind of worked best for you would there be one you recommend most.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, my little history of platforms, I started out blogging. I started in very late 2007. Uh, I then moved on to YouTube after that. And I never really treated YouTube like it was a primary platform. That was a big mistake. If I were to treat YouTube like I treat it now back then, I'd be way ahead of the game. Because no matter what platform you choose, you should go all in on it for sure. And I was just using YouTube as like a repository for a video every few months just because I just was scared of it really. Mm. Uh, And then the podcast came out in 2010 and I started the podcast every other week. And I had done that for a few months and it was, it was hard and I didn't understand how it all worked. And I was just like, okay, well I'll try it for a little bit and see what happens. And then I remember going to a conference and even though I blogged three times a week, and only podcasted once every other week so one podcast for every six pieces of blog content when I went to this conference everybody couldn't stop talking about my podcast podcast this podcast that and I was like what about my blog like I'm spending 90% of my time on my blog like what about that stuff and they're like no I don't like that story you told on your show is so great or that guest you had was amazing and I was like wow okay I should probably start listening to people and and Put more time into the podcast versus the blog so that's what i did i kind of did a flip-flop and i doubled down on the podcast i cut my blog in half and then i actually now cut off the blog to just once a week and the podcast now my main show comes out once a week my other show ask pat comes out once a week it had come out for five days a week for a while and then i slowed it down but um for me the podcast really was the big one that allowed me to in my way connect with my audience best different people connect with different people in different platforms for them. And so what I would recommend for anybody listening and you, Sharon, is just pick the one that you are most interested in, that you feel like you can have a long-term passion for, that out of all of them, you would wake up in the morning and even though you don't want to do it, you would still go and do it. And for me, that was that was podcasting. And that was partly because I was scared of getting on camera, not so much anymore. And right now, like podcasting and YouTube to me are kind of... Flip flopping on my favorite right now because I have a lot of fun with the creative aspects of YouTube, but podcasting is so much easier to produce. But it's only one layer; it's just audio, and findability is terrible on podcasts versus YouTube, which is like a search engine, and there's 500 million active channels and however many videos are viewed every single second. Versus podcasting, well, there's not very as many people there, but that's also great because that means you can stand out. Like there's there's less than there's less than one million active podcast right now. I mean, the numbers are crazy. So we're just starting out. So if you can get in early on that, that's great. So pick, I I would choose either YouTube or a podcast to start as your primary platform, like you're building content specifically for that. And you're repurposing your content for the other platforms as sort of secondary places to put those for now. And then what I would do is work hard to get to a point where you have your systems down, you have your procedures down, you have maybe a team that helps you or maybe not, but you just get so good at how you do what you do there that you get some time back to then start putting some primary time into a new platform so you can start to be everywhere. I used to teach this strategy called be everywhere when people saw that I had a blog and I had a video channel and I had a podcast and it was like, no matter how you consume content, I'm everywhere. Like there's no excuse not to get me. I remember teaching this in 2011 after I had all these platforms, but I didn't stress the fact that you can and should not have all of them at the same time at the start. You have to pick one, master it, then move on to the next, master it, then move on to the next, which is what I did. Too many people then went, oh, okay, I'm gonna start all those things, plus I'm gonna be on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all at the same time, and then what happens with their energy, none of those platforms have a chance to do any damage for them in a good way because they're spread so thin. So just choose one and learn everything you can about it. Collaborate with other people there. That's that's the exciting thing about YouTube. And I know you have YouTube experience with your, your music. So for you, I would recommend that because you have uh, you know a little bit of clout there already. Um, and it sounds like with the podcast, it is actually video first and then audio second, which is great. And um, you can get into a lot of search engine terms and keyword related uh, micro content coming out of your show as well. And um, yeah, it's just whatever you do, just make sure that you can continue to have fun doing it. Because the truth is, if you don't have fun doing it, um, and it doesn't mean you're going to have fun 100% of the time, but it just means like, you know, you can imagine yourself doing this for a while, then you'll stick with it and be consistent enough to start to see results.
0: Hmm, Okay. That's really interesting that I guess blog was not as, um, big as podcasting. So I'm probably gonna have to like rethink my strategy. Um, but I, I definitely was thinking YouTube and then, yeah, just taking that audio from the YouTube videos. And I mean, do you do that or do you just do everything separate?
1: I currently do everything separate because I want to build, because I am everywhere and I do have a team where I can create content primarily just for each of those places. Yes, I could repurpose things, but I don't because I have a large audience and I don't feel like I need to right now. And maybe I'm shooting myself in the foot. However, I will say that I am going to be starting a new podcast soon and it's going to live on my personal branded site, patflynn.com, which is an, It's there, but it's kind of just been dormant for a very long time. But I'm excited to start shifting some energy into new areas of life that I want to talk about on a show. And this will actually be a video interview show where I then take that audio and yes, put it onto an audio platform uh, and directories like Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all those places. But it'll be primarily a YouTube show. and actually today, my team was in town. We were actually just jamming on that because it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're putting a lot of effort into the high production of that and I'm excited for it because now on this platform at patflynn.com, I can talk about, yes, business stuff, but I can also talk about parenting because uh, I have two kids. I can also talk about like tech stuff and Tesla, which I, I'm a huge Tesla and Elon Musk fan. I can talk about anything I want because it's Pat Flynn and, and, and the business stuff is mostly gonna live on smart passive income. Uh, so I'm excited about that and, and I'm kind of just trying to feel where my energy is and where I want to go in the next few years and and put more effort into that. Um, that's not to say you shouldn't be blogging. I mean, if, if you want to blog, that's cool, but I think that you have some talent that, you know, should be seen. Um, and so that's why I I had mentioned YouTube for you.
0: Cool. Um, just out of curiosity, what's the podcast
1: going to be about? So it's called. Tentative, tentatively you're literally the first person to know this um back in time so it has a back to the future theme i don't know if you could see like for those of you like on this table i'm, I'm writing a book right now it's coming out in august it's called super fans so for this book i had to take a picture of all the back to the future i'm a huge back to the future like huge super fan about me the too <laughs> and because my audience knows that they often send me stuff so this all this table stuff right now there's like 50 pieces of from a Yahtzee set to a levitating DeLorean to a, mon- like, here's like a Back to the Future Monopoly set. Wow. <laughs> like, this is stuff fans have sent me because I've, I've helped them. Um, anyway, um, I like Back to the Future. So I wanted to have something time and Back to the Future related for my Pat Flynn show because that's very me. Mm-hmm. But it would be an interview show where I would bring creators on to talk about how they got to where they're at. So going back into time with them, showing them uh, like their first pieces of content to see like how different things were and where they are now. And then actually fast forward the time to the future to talk about where they wanna go and where they think things are going. And so this, this, that's the theme of the show. And then ultimately what I, what I wanna do is move that show from inside a studio to inside a DeLorean, which is the car from Back to the Future that I would yes. own which I do not own yet, but it'll be something that I want to track during the, the first few seasons to like, you know, if I get sponsorship money, I want to be like, all right, guys, we're raising money for the DeLorean so we can move the show. Anyway, just I'm, I'm just being more of myself there and I'm having a good time with it. Um, but I also want to use that platform to start to reach more general audiences outside of just entrepreneurship. And uh, really, it's just a place to experiment. And I think that's a big part of business. And that's something that we're all doing and what you're doing, Sharon. It's like you're trying these different things and you're seeing what works. You give it some time to, to react, whether it's a good reaction or a bad reaction. You have to give it some time. And then you reassess sort of like, okay, had this met our expectations, do we want to keep going, stop or start something new uh, or continue doing it? And, and that's kind of what business is all about, like... And, and, and with two kids, I have a son who's nine and a daughter who's six. Like, this is stuff that we're teaching them every day. It's like you can't be perfect on your first go around. And if you want to start a business, it's like riding a bike. Like, nobody ever goes on a bike for the first time and just pedals like they've been, like they're a pro. You mm-hmm. have to fall and then, you know, put your feet down to, to hold you up because you don't know how to balance yourself. But then, like, even when you get up for a couple tries and you do, you do a couple pedals and you're doing it, but then you fall off, like, it's exact same analogy with, with business and creation. It's like, it's all experimentation. It's all getting used to the balancing act. It's all, you know, trial and error and failures are great. I love failing. I failed so many times and I try to fail as fast as I can because then that, those are teaching moments for me because then I can go, okay, that sucked. And why? That's the big Mm -hmm. question. Don't just go, Oh, that sucked. I'm not any good. Like, of course Mm -hmm. I'm not any good. I've never done this before, but, If I can learn from that, then the second go around, well, I at least know not to do it the way I had just done it. I think it was Einstein who said like insanity is trying to do the same thing over and over and over again and trying to get different results. Mm -hmm. And that's true with anything. So I just try to learn from my mistakes and keep pushing forward.
0: Cool. It sounds like you have a lot on your plate. Like how do you, I guess, balance everything and what does your normal day look like? And if you're going to add this podcast, will you have enough time to do everything or? yes.
1: I mean, we only have 24 hours in the day and you should be sleeping for a lot of that. And, and I, I do have to admit, I, I don't sleep as much as I probably should. Six hours a day, which is probably the minimum I should be getting. I should probably be more like seven or eight. But anyway, that's a bit, that's a bit <laughs> story story. Um, how do I balance everything? Well, number one, it's it's understanding what my priorities are. That's number one. That also plays into me learning what to say yes to and what to say no to. And the fact that when you say yes to something, you're also saying no to something else. And so that's why understanding your priorities are important. Now when I first started out and and before I had kids, I was saying yes to everything because it was just like opportunities I never had before. And in the beginning it kind of has to be a little bit of a hustle and a little bit of a grind. And you do have to speak for free. You do have to try things out that are a little bit risky. But over time, you start to get your legs, and you start to understand sort of what works and what doesn't. And for me now, what has been really helpful is really understanding where I want to where I want to end up. And if I have an opportunity in front of me and it doesn't align with my core values and what my audience wants, but especially where I want to be in the future, then it's an easy no. For example, you know, I have a company that I promote. Uh, it's a hosting company, and I've I've made over a million dollars promoting them which is a sign that, wow, what if I had my own hosting company and I actually had an opportunity to partner with somebody for a hosting company where I would be like a 50% owner and it would probably literally make me hundreds of millions of dollars. But then you think about what your day might be like if you're owning a company of that sort of nature. It's like, I got to wear a suit and go to an office and I got to have like all this infrastructure and insurance and like worry about uptime and like stress out. Like I do not need that in my life. That's not worth nine figures to me. It's not at all. And so I need to build for what I want, not for, um, you know, just what's out there. And um, that that's really important because if you don't know where you want to go, then what are you doing and why? You're just kind of running out of energy. You might be actually backpedaling and not even knowing it. So understanding your goal, it's like the navigation menu, right? You put the address in so that even if you were to get off course, like the little voice goes, oh, make a U-turn up there so you can get back on the course. And that's what we need. And it's it's most entrepreneurs who go, oh, I want to start a business and I want to do something. So I'm just going to pick whatever first opportunity there is and just go with it, which is okay to start, but then you don't course correct for where you want to go. And I go to these conferences and I we sit in the bar after the conference and we chat and we get honest with each other. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are very successful on paper. They have literally millions of dollars in the bank, employees, very successful company, and they're unhappy. It's because they're not doing something that fulfills them. And that kind of sucks because when you're an entrepreneur, it's like you can design whatever you want. And if, you, if it's gone out of control, something went wrong. It's usually because they didn't have any sort of address in that navigation menu. The second part of this or third or fourth or whatever word number we're at now is, is the fact that I've since built a team since I've started. I would 100% not be able to handle everything I do without my team right now. And it's only because I have a team that I'm able to work on multiple projects at the same time, which is not recommended at the start. And for many people, you have to be yourself and only you at the start and you have to bootstrap and you have to wear all the hats and that's okay. But if I could go back in the time, <laughs> I would actually hire sooner because I also now understand how valuable my time is and time to me is worth way more than money and you know you can always make more money but you can't get your time back. So to me hiring somebody to do a job that even I could do myself is worth doing at a certain price point because I should probably only be doing things that only I as Pat Flynn can do. Right. Mm -hmm. I should be the only I should be the one hosting my show, not editing my show and putting graphics onto my website anymore. I had done that for six years. Like I said, I wish I had done it sooner. But another part of that was just and I don't know if this is just a guy thing, but like we have so much pride in like doing everything ourselves. It's like we don't want to ask for directions. We want to figure it out ourselves. Right. And I remember spending eight to 10 hours a day on YouTube trying to learn how to do like website design because I wanted to do it myself and I wanted to like put my stamp on it. And it just was hard, but I felt like a sense of pride in finishing things myself. But then I remember my first hire, I hired her to edit my show. Um, and I was like, uh, we'll see how this goes. And she actually edited it better than I did and faster. And I'm like, holy crap, I've been missing out on so much by just like trying to keep it all for myself. And then I just start, started to get on this fix of like, Ooh, what else can I can I hand off? And I just started to hand off everything as much as I could to a point, obviously, Um, and now I'm at a point where, you know, I wake up and I think about, okay, who am I going to be talking with today on my show or what kind of content, correct, you know, new content can I create for my audience? No longer, oh, I have to edit that show or, oh, I have to, you know, uh, answer my emails. I have somebody to help me with my emails. Like there's like, I try to get rid of all the, uh, in my life right now because, um, and, and again, it wasn't always like that, but that's what I'm working toward. And there's still a lot of those, but I, that, that's kind of what I want to shoot for. So I can be happy as much as possible.
0: Cool. I have a lot of questions that just came up from that. But yeah,
1: sure. Keep going. Let's go.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of how you split your day, though, what percentage goes into podcasts, what percent goes to Good YouTube, question. yeah, percent goes to blog, other things, like how does it work?
1: So Monday is my writing day. When I wake up on Monday, I know that day I'm going to write. I'm either going to be writing inside a new book, I'm going to be writing emails, uh, or writing blog posts. That's all Monday is. Tuesday is recording day. I wake up on a Tuesday, and I know I'm going to be recording stuff for my show. And we already have planned ahead of time what those shows are going to be or who I'm going to be speaking with, whether it's on my show or somebody else's show. Wednesday is my meeting day. So all my team meetings, I want them to happen on Wednesday because that's when I wake up in the morning. I want to be in the mindset of okay, today's meeting day, and that way, kind of like dividing my week into those specific tasks, allows me to just be fully into that task the whole day. Versus what a lot of people do, and this is what I did for years, was hey, I'm going to do the podcast stuff from like nine to ten, but then after that, I'm going to start writing, and then I'm going to take a little break, and then I'm going to go into this meeting and then I'm going to go back to podcasting in the afternoon and that can be done. And for some people, that's the only way it can be done. But there's this thing called transition time, which is something that eats up a lot of our day. My goal is to have one focus so that I can get into flow state. Flow state is a state of mind where it's kind of like, it, 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 it's it's kind of hard to describe, but you, you're in this like, automated mode of producing and you're just in the zone right like many sports players and athletes uh, call that you know it's like when you're hitting every three-pointer right it's just you're in the zone you're, you're flowing and the same thing happens as a creator but what happens is when you start something and you stop you don't you can't just get immediately back into something else it takes time it takes transition time and you know if if, if you consider that it might take 20 to 25 minutes to get back into flow state, I mean, that's, if you're switching between five or six tasks, that's two and a half hours a day you're, quote, wasting on sort of like medium to, to medium level work versus like the good hardcore deep work, like Cal Newport talks about in his book. Um, that's like, that's where I want to be. So I, I allow myself for maximum flow state, if you will, by doing it that way. Thursday is... Uh, what is Thursday? Thursday is sort of like more of a cleanup day. So meaning like if there's anything left over that I didn't finish, uh, that's, that's on Thursday and office hours with my students on Thursday as well. And then date night with my wife at night. And then Friday is usually just like, um, you know, either uh, Friday is usually reserved for reading or learning because it's like, it's good to learn. So I have like four days of action taking one day of learning, when they have reached that, that Friday is also research. That's also like if there's anything new that I'm excited about that I want to explore, I give myself time to do that. Um, speaking of giving myself time to do those sort of other things that can. So so that's, that's something that usually distracts people, right? Like the new shiny object, which is a very common theme. you'll find this, everybody finds this, as you start to grow and try something and it starts to get a little hard, your brain goes, oh, okay, let me go to something else that's actually fun because now this is getting hard. Let me find the new fun thing that's actually going to give me more energy. That's the, that's the part where you have to like keep going. And that's why having those days where I just grind on those things and get into flow states really good. But I allow myself time on Friday to do research to learn, to have that space to get distracted. That's like almost, you can call it like my let's get distracted day. Speaking of that, within each day, uh, there's social media, right? And social media can be a huge distraction as well. I mean, we could sit on Facebook for hours and now there's like apps and I, I think even iOS tells you like what your screen time is for things. And it's kind of depressing to see at night like you've been on your phone for four and a half hours. You're like, what did I do with my day? So that's that's tough. So one thing to battle that is I've in my schedule during breaks or in between sort of work sessions because I don't I don't literally work for six to eight hours straight. I have breaks in there. I usually work in one hour chunks and with 15 minutes, 20 minute breaks in between where I'm usually, um, you know, uh, exercising or getting a glass of water or walking outside or whatever, just changing the environment. So when I go back into work, I can get back into flow state a little bit better. I'm not distracted with some new task. I'm literally just putting pause on it and then coming back to it It allows me to transition back into it a little easier. But on social media, I actually schedule in the day. I actually have in my calendar a couple 15-minute moments. And it's different each day because different days have different things that happen. But I literally give myself time to get distracted on social media and go in there and interact and, and start conversing with people. So that's why whenever you see me on social media, most of my interaction with my audience is done in chunks. You're like, oh, Pat was very active during this part of the day, but then like he was nowhere to be seen at this other part. And that's because that ties into another production strategy that I have with everything that I do, and that's called batch processing. Instead of just doing one thing when I'm doing it, and because I have a full day to do it, I'm I'm gonna do like as many as I can. I'll record three to five podcast episodes on Tuesday, which then allows me to get ahead. So that next week, maybe I only feel like doing a couple and that's okay because the last week I did a lot And then next week I'll come back and then do a bunch of podcast episodes. and then the next week I literally just want to take the day off because my family wants to go to Disneyland because the schools are off or whatever and then we'll just go and that'll be okay instead of every week being in the content hamster wheel this is a very scary thing to do, which is like you only create or you only plan for for what's happening next week right If you go once a week, it's like you hit publish and you're like, oh my God. I have to do this all over again. And so what am I going to do? I have to start from scratch. So what I do to tackle that is every quarter, I plan a session with my team. If it's just you, you can do just you. And I literally sit down with them for three hours and just plan out as much as possible all the content and the ideas that we have for content that's going to come out for for that whole quarter or for for the next quarter. So that when Tuesday comes around within that quarter, it's already been discussed what podcast episode I'm going to be doing. It's already been planned who I'm going to be talking with. It's It's already been on the calendar and even on my mind because it's been on the calendar for so long, like stuff about that topic I'm going to be writing about so that there is no moment when I'm creating content that I go, okay, what should I be writing about today? Or what should I be creating podcasts about today? That that hasn't happened for years. And I got to tell you, it's the best feeling in the world because it's only during that planning session. It's like you got to plan to plan essentially. Um, and so I know I'm just kind of brain dumping everything on you right now. Hope that's okay. That's great. Yeah. Hopefully it's helpful.
0: Yeah, it's super helpful. I get distracted really easily and these are really good productivity, um, tips and hacks back to the point about growing your team. You wish you did it earlier. I had a question about, I guess, exactly when do you think is a good time? Because like, do, do you think I should hit a certain income point in order to hire, VAs. I have hired project by project basis, but not some person that's like on my team. I know you hire VAs from, I think the online jobs PH site that you've recommended that before when you're starting out and stuff like that. Do so you have any advice for when you start doing that?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a couple places to get VAs that are great. And and, and you're talking about onlinejobs.ph. There's also virtualstafffinder.com, which is my buddy Chris Ducker's site who vets Filipino VAs. They're super super inexpensive and it's just because of the economies of the philippines like you could literally pay an assistant like 600 dollars a month for 40 hours a week and like when i first heard that i'm like that's like that's that shouldn't be right like i should pay them more but it's really interesting because when you try to pay them more they they actually don't want it because then the more money you have in the philippines the more of a target you are essentially and that's plenty to supply for their families there it's just really interesting how that works versus starting out by hiring an in-person uh, you know, coworker or employee, excuse me, that will cost you know forty thousand dollars a year. I mean, that's that's hard to do when you're just starting out. So starting with somebody overseas can be can be very great. And and Philippines specifically, they have great English. They care very much about security in their job, so they're going to stick around for a while. I'm half Filipino myself, and it's very much just a cultural thing, which is interesting. But you don't want to just hire somebody because everybody says, oh, well, you got to hire somebody. The point at which you should hire somebody should be based on when you understand that it is not worth your time to do something anymore that that's really it when it makes sense to pay somebody to do these things so that you can spend your time doing better better bigger things right and so when you're starting out there's no like i would never recommend somebody who's literally just starting out to go okay you also have to have a va right now to do these things like how would you even know what to tell them to do and that's a big challenge that people who hire people like that on a non-project basis. The pro- a project thing makes sense because it's like, okay, here's the fee. At the end, you're going to have this and then we'll, we're done. It either is delivered or it's not. Versus a VA, which is like, they're working for you. You have to give them work to do. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenge. I remember when I, I hired my, one of my first VAs that was like going to work with me every single day, I was like struggling to figure out what to give them. I was like making up stuff to give to them. And that's, you, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. What you want is to work for yourself just you, create what you want to create and do it yourself, grind through it and, and learn and feel how hard that is, but then, but then master it, get your style down, get good at it. And then what you do is you hire a VA to, to basically clone you so that you personally don't have to do those hard grindy things anymore. And you can sort of remove yourself from that. And that's then set in motion. And it should only be for things that are recurring, like mm. editing a show or repurposing your content. And and you have to train them to do that. You can't just go, hey, VA, this is what I want in the end. Go do it. What's nice is by doing it yourself, you're actually also developing a training plan at the same time for somebody who will help replace you for those tasks. And the best way once you hire somebody to show them how to do something is to literally film yourself doing it. So if it is editing your podcast interviews and then repurposing them into uh, audio content and then repurposing that into blog content like literally just do it one more time yourself filming yourself using a tool like QuickTime which is free or ScreenFlow for Mac or Camtasia Studios these are the screen recording softwares and then you can just go hey VA super cool that you're here with me and and we're gonna be working together here's what I want you to do just do exactly what I do here. Mm -hmm. Like just literally do that. There's no room for error because I'm just showing you exactly what you should do. And then of course, they might have questions and it's going to take some time for them to understand exactly what you mean in some moments. And that's okay. When you work with somebody, you're going to have to learn each other's language and they're going to have to understand how to fill in those gaps that maybe you didn't even know were there when you delivered that video content to them. And then it's just a machine. And then it's just a machine. And then, then you should wisely use your time for other bigger things, building relationships, creating more different kinds of content to interact with your audience, to build those products, whatever that might be. Um, but yeah, hiring people is, is scary. It's, it's a very scary thing. But it's also really cool to know that you can make it a win-win-win situation for everybody. It's a win for you because you're like removing these things that either A, you don't want to do but need to do, uh, or B, things that you can do and can even do very well, but you shouldn't be doing as somebody who's growing as a business owner. Um, it's really cool to, ha- to like support somebody's lifestyle and help somebody make money by having them do the things that you don't want to do. Like it's It boggles my mind every day that I can have people on my team wake up and go, I'm excited to edit Pat's podcast today. I'm like, you're a weird person. But the crazy thing is people exist like that. And mm-hmm. you might not think it, but you can find them or train them to be that. and um, and it's really cool because then you, like you, like I said earlier, you can focus on what you really, really want to do. It's yeah. just understanding what are those continuous recurring things that you do that you can then go, okay, I'm over this now. Let's hand that off so I can start getting energized about other things that can supplement what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see myself needing someone to edit like YouTube and podcast episodes. And another thing is like I wanted to – What you mentioned earlier was transcribe the audio into like all the text and putting that into blog posts. I noticed a lot of people just do the takeaways and not the whole transcript, but I was thinking that the transcript would be good for SEO purposes. So I was wondering do you know if that? helps to have the whole transcription into that blog post
1: it does and I have confirmed this with somebody who I hired for SEO purposes SEO is search engine optimization meaning how high can you rank for certain keywords and be found and get traffic organically it does help so when you have a transcription I mean an audio file that's maybe 30 minutes long could be pages and pages of text And that's pages and pages of text that Google can sort of crawl through your website and see and go, oh, wow, Sharon's talking about this apparently because they don't yet crawl through our audio. On YouTube, they do crawl through your audio because there's artificial intelligence and machine learning there that is now able to do that. And I would imagine that with your audio that might happen in the future, but currently that's not how it works. And so you'll need that text. So the problem is, and the reason why most people don't do this is because it can be very expensive, especially when you have a human being actually transcribing the stuff so that you have less errors. There are tools out there that can uh, sort of automatically take the audio and turn it into transcriptions. There's one called Temi, T-E-M-I. There's another one called Otter, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. These are automated tools that are fairly cheap. Instead of paying $1 per minute, that's like a 30-minute episode. It's like 30 bucks every episode just for the transcript. That's a lot. Uh, with Temi, it's just $0.10 cents a minute. And with Otter.ai, it's even less. Now, I will say that they're not perfect, but you can get pretty close. And what I like to do for transcripts is to let people know, hey, you know, if you are using one of those automated ones, just let people know, hey, this transcription was automatically created using this tool here. And if you wanted that to be an affiliate link, that's even cooler and go, uh, please excuse any errors that the machine made when transcribing this for you, but we're doing this for your own convenience. Mm-hmm. And that way, it's sort of like off of your plate. If there is a mistake, it's like, oh, well, the machine got this wrong, and, and that's a little trick I like to use with that. So that you can still get the SEO benefits usually um, if, if, if things are spoken clearly and if it's doing a good job, um, but also not have to worry about it being perfect. Um, I only recently started putting transcripts on my website like that because for the longest time, I didn't understand that that was that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I like to do it because of my fairly large audience, I do have hearing impaired people who are listening uh, to my show who would prefer to you know read it. Um, and there are people at work who probably shouldn't be on the web and they want to discreetly consume the content and read it instead so of listen to it as well.
0: Yeah, I I sometimes download your transcripts and read it too. Yeah. So yeah. also, you you like kind of have a little thingy where you can scroll through I think with the transcript. Does that still work for the SEO purposes?
1: It depends. There are many different tools out there. So what Sharon's talking about is there's like a box in my show notes for each episode that encloses the transcription so that the whole web page is not like miles long. Like the transcript lives in a frame inside of that blog post. And that can be helpful because it just reduces the clutter on the page. But some tools are blocking search engines from seeing that. The one that I have doesn't do that, but it's also customized. And my team and I are working, actually, because we've been getting a lot of requests from people to create something that we could offer to others that would have those SEO benefits and have a very similar functionality for people. So we're trying to create something, and that's... That's something that I like to do. Like if if I hear so many people asking for something, it's like, oh, well, I should probably make that if nobody else is going to do it. So mm-hmm. it, you should see that soon.
0: Okay. In terms of video length, podcast length, and blog post length, do you have a recommendation? I know that in Ask Pat, you had 10-minute segments before, and then I think it's grown to 30 minutes-ish now. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason for that?
1: Yeah, I mean, that changed. So the first 1,000 episodes of Ask Pat were answers to my audience's voicemails that were coming in. So Mm -hmm. a person would ask a very specific question, and then I would have a very specific answer. And that would only need 10 minutes, and that was fine, 10 to 12 minutes. But what was lacking in that show, the way that it was structured before, was I couldn't go deeper with those people. And that's often where a lot of the answers lie, is two to four levels deeper after that initial question is asked and i couldn't get there because it was just the voicemail so i experimented with the start of last uh, year um the episodes being coaching calls so instead of a voicemail i'm like literally speaking to that person and coaching them live in that call and recording that and sharing it with people and the reaction was just like oh my gosh this is so much better and it does take a little bit longer But um, the amount of time is the same because instead of five episodes a week, which I did for the first thousand, it's just one episode a week. Um, So it's very similar to my other show, except instead of just an interview, it's, it's actually coaching. And you can hear me ask deeper questions and go deeper and go deeper to find sort of the root of the problem and then sort of dissect that and try to help people out. So that has needed to be longer because that takes that much time to do it. So the answer for how long something should be is however long it needs to be, to be honest, to provide the value that you want to provide. And so I, I remember when I first started my podcast, I thought I was smart. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this research about like television shows and how long TV shows are. And I'm like, oh, they're 22 and a half minutes long because that's what, you know, all these really rich broadcasting companies have understood that's like the attention span for people's, and you know, attention. And like, I'm going to make my podcast exactly that. And, and I remember doing my first interview and we were at like 22 and a half minutes and I was like, I feel like I'm just getting started here. Like there's so many more things I want to ask. It would be a disservice to my audience to go, you know what, Mark, sorry. Uh, we're at 22 and a half minutes and I know we didn't even dive into anything valuable, but uh, I'm going to call it. Thanks. That doesn't make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if, 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 uh, you know, these ask Pat shows were trying to be 23, 20, the, the initial thousand ask Pat episodes, if they were, you know, trying to be that amount of time, 22 and a half minutes. But I already answered the question in 12 minutes. Like, does that mean I should just add nine minutes of random gibberish? Like, no, that would, that would decrease the sort of quality of the show. It would dilute it. And so it's as long as it needs to be is the answer.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's good. Going back to the whole thing you said, a lot of people are introverts. So I feel like I am pretty introverted even though people think i'm not because of the music thing. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah, but um i feel like you said you you are too and it took a while to get to that point where you're comfortable speaking at conferences and doing these interviews. Mm-hmm. And i guess do you have any tips on like how to get there cuz yeah, even like just interviewing you is kind of scary for me, right?
1: So. Yeah, and, and you're doing a great job and um there's a lot of tips with that because I was definitely a shy kid and an introvert um, and, and that means like it's hard for me to go up to a person and talk to them. And one trick that I have, so so there's a few things. Number one, just number one understanding that, well, if I don't talk to people... What does that mean for my business? It means I'm not able to understand more about my audience. It means that I'm not able to make really beautiful connections and, real, and build rapport with people who might be great partners with me, or I'm not able to make friends with people who I can help. Like I'm not able to best serve people if I just let that fear get in the way. So that's mm-hmm. number one. And that often will be enough for for me to go. You know what? Like, okay, Pat, just get over yourself. Just go. The second thing is I often tell myself, okay, well, what's the worst that can happen? And when you honestly think about the true realities of the worst thing that can happen. It's probably not as bad as we think. And I remember going to conferences and like seeing a person that I wanted to shake hands with and say hi to. And I get like these sweaty palms and I'd imagine the scenario where I'd like (laughs) go up to this person, I'd stumble my words and then I'd like shake their hand, but it would be like the wrong hand. And then I actually shake it and they'd be like, why is your hand so wet? And then I'd like cry and like end up dead in a ditch somewhere. Like literally that's what I would think. Like the worst, like that's stupid, right? Like, None of that stuff would ever happen. Like the worst thing that could happen would be I'd go up to a person and just say hi. And like what are they gonna be? Like a dick and and say no? Like, you know, they'll say hi back, and that's probably the worst thing that could happen. Like no further conversation, and that's that's not bad. Like, okay, maybe you could try again later or move on to somebody else. Like it's not as bad as you might think. So that's number two. Number three is I implement something I like to call the three second rule. And I learned this from this is gonna sound really weird, and I just I promise you, I just read this for entertainment. But this, there's a book called, I think it's called The Game by Neil Strauss. It's a book about this underground world of like pickup artists, like dudes who it was just, I read it because it was just so interesting. And, and the, the dude who uh, wrote it was on Jimmy Fallon or a late night show. And I was just like, what? This sounds crazy to me. So I read it. It was just like a weird world of these dudes who were like just trying to pick up these chicks. It was just like, I was just like, Whoa, this is, these guys are desperate. They have to like go to classes for this. Like just be yourself. But anyway, there was this thing they call the three second rule, which I then started using in networking, not to pick up chicks or dudes or anything, but it was, it was specifically to get me to go talk to people that I was afraid of talking to. And what they, what they would teach these guys is like, if you see somebody that you want to talk to, just, just, do it within three seconds because if you do it within three seconds, you're not going to give yourself enough time to psych yourself out to go think about those weird random things that probably won't even ever happen, to think about what they might say. You just go. And then what I've learned after that is just really the hardest part is just to start, right? It's just like I always worry about like, what am I going to say first? And like, you know, how am I going to start this? Am I going to be awkward? But usually if, if I just mention something that connects both of us like, hey, so would you, what do you think of the event so far? then you're on. And it's like easy after that. It's always the start that's the hardest part.
0: Yeah. So, 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 so that's
1: kind of what I learned about being introverted. And, 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 and learning about that, about yourself is really important too, because then you can know how to deal with it. You can't change from an introvert to an extrovert. You are just one or the other. And, and there's, there's middle grounds, right? And there's a spectrum. But knowing where you're at is important because then you can make decisions based on that. You can't go, okay, today I'm going to be an extrovert. Like it doesn't work like that. Right, You have to know who you are and go, you know what? I'm going to tell myself these things. I'm going to not allow myself time to psych myself out. And I'm going to remember what's the worst that can happen, but I'm also going to remember what's the best that can happen if I meet these people. And you're just one relationship away from somebody who could literally change your life. And so I think about that too. It's like maybe the next person I meet can be the person who's going to help with this big thing I'm struggling with. Maybe, maybe not, but maybe, maybe, maybe. Um, And then the other part about being introverted is that I just realized that, you know, and, and I can't remember who defined this, but it was like a way to know whether you were an introvert or an extrovert is to understand how you get your energy back. If you get your energy back by being alone and like going back to your hotel room and like not wanting to talk to people, that's just how you recharge. Mm-hmm. That, that's your way of recharging is being alone. And that's me. But that doesn't mean you can't be friendly with people and go up to people. It's just how you recharge. And extroverted people, it's like they recharge by being with other people. Like that gives them energy for introverted people. People suck energy out of us, Mm. but that's not a bad thing. It's just, that's just the way we work. And just so understanding is, is, is sort of step number one.
0: Yeah, definitely. I definitely read that. Like there's no bad thing about being an introvert It's just how you're wired and you can use that to your advantage for sure. And I'm actually taking like improv classes. Um, Yeah. I, I finished my last class. Um, yesterday and I'm, I think I'm going to do the intermediate one and it's like scary as shit and like the um the second one you actually have to perform in front of friends and family but yeah it's like crazy because this is something I don't want to do but I'm like this year I'm trying to do stuff for anything that scares me actually I'm reading Will It Fly right now that I, I try to read a book a month so this month I'm reading your book that's awesome Thank yeah you. and I remember I had a, I think I had a quote saying if it's something scary, then it's a sign you're supposed to do it. So I'm, I'm doing that now. So I'm just like anything that scares me, I'm just gonna like go for it.
1: That's, that's such a good lesson. And that's something I've learned over time too. When I think about the most interesting and best things that's ever happened to me, it's always been right after something really scary. Like mm-hmm. when I started my business, which was an amazing thing for me, it was right after I got laid off, like the worst depressing moment of my life. When I started my podcast, it was such a scary thing. And I actually waited a year and a half because I was so fearful of what people would think about me. But once I finally started, it became this amazing driver for my business. Before I got on stage, I remember throwing up and just being so scared of it and, and saying no to opportunities. But once I finally got on stage and started learning the craft and getting coached for it, it's become one of the best things I've ever done in my business too. And it's me to make more connections. So now I go, okay, well, what, what can I be scared of now? Like what's gonna challenge me and give me that fear? because if I'm doing stuff now and I don't have a little bit of that nervousness, then I know I'm probably not reaching high enough. Mm-hmm. And so to give you an example, FlynnCon, which is my first event, which I'm stoked to see you at, is coming up. I've never through a live event before, five hundred people come to San Diego that I'm gonna be responsible for. It scares the crap out of me. like mm-hmm. I'm so scared, but that's why I know I need to do it, mm-hmm. and that's also the reason why I know it's going to be awesome because I'm so scared that I'm going to make sure this does not fail. Like I'm so nervous about it. I'm going to put, put forth more effort than I probably need to, to make it the best thing ever. Yeah. I'm going to continually look for, for those sort of scary moments. So are you doing like the yes and sort of exercises?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so have you done it or?
1: My son took improv.
0: Wow. Really totally
1: jealous about, <laughs> but on the last day of class, like he and his classmates performed in front of us and it was hilarious and it was cool to see him step out of his head of shell. Um, I definitely want to want to do it.
0: Yeah, you should. I mean,
1: definitely challenge me for sure.
0: Yeah. I think it's helped me a lot. And, and it's pretty cool that he like did it at such a young age and he Great. like performed for you guys. That's crazy. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah. your parents amazing. <laughs> 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 it was actually my wife's idea, but yeah.
0: Okay. You know, you speak at all these events, like you're doing all these things that put you outside of your comfort zone. Was that always something you wanted to do? Like, did you imagine yourself being this speaker, podcast host? It's What drives you to do all this stuff?
1: Yeah, uh, the answer is no way, Uh, especially with (laughs) speaking stuff. Like, if, If you had asked me 10 years ago, if I wanted to be on stage in front of thousands of people ever, let alone put on my own event, it would have been a straight up no, like hell no, no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was because I was just I didn't th- I didn't think I had the skills or I, I wouldn't know what to do or how to do it, and it wasn't until two thousand eleven that a friend of mine needed some help for his first event. His name is Philip Taylor. He runs an event called FinCon, not FlynnCon, but FinCon.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm going to that fresh, too actually that's funny. Uh,
1: which is oh yeah, Fincon's <laughs> awesome. It's a financial <laughs> yeah. blogger conference, mm-hmm. and he asked me to speak. And do a little bit of a of a breakout session, which is you know one of the smaller sessions, um, not one of the keynotes. So I was like, okay, I'll do it for you. And I'm super scared, but I'm going to try it and see if I like it. And then two weeks before the event happened, PT calls me and he goes, "Hey Pat, our closing keynote had to bail. How would you like to come and close the the show for us?" And I was like, "Holy crap!" And this was like 350 people, and I was like, "I'll I'll do it for you," because. I want to help you out and you're my friend. And after I hung up, I was like, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? It was like the scariest three weeks of my life uh, trying to set up for that. And I remember scripting every single word I was going to say. I wrote 20 pages and I memorized every single word because I was just so afraid. I didn't. I didn't and I thought that's how they did it. I had no training, nothing all uh, that was driving me was like, okay, there's going to be 350 people there. They're all bloggers. They all will see the success that I've had blogging and they want to know how, how I was able to do it. Let me just tell them how I did it and, and, and see what happens. So I got on stage and, and that video is literally live on YouTube still. And it's just, I, there's so many mistakes that I can point out now. But I did an okay job. And I just remember after speaking, there was this line of people who were there who were like, thank you so much I was super inspirational like how could I give back to you like this helped me out so much and all these comments like that like one after another I was like did you see the same presentation I give because like it doesn't I didn't feel like I gave a lot of value but I mean it was it was very well well received and you know whenever you get that kind of feedback you're like wow I need to do this again because this was pretty awesome so then I got like I do with everything very serious about it I wanted to be the best at it and so I read books. I hired a coach. I and this is with everything. I did the same thing with podcasting. I did the same thing with blogging and everything I do now, even with fitness related things. I'm like, okay, I want to run a triathlon. All right, I'm gonna find a coach who can train me. Like for me, it's like I could spend eight hours a day, you know, learning things on YouTube until I happen to figure it out. Or I could just go to somebody who's done it before who can teach me the quick way to do it safely and and effectively. And then I just started saying yes to as many opportunities as I could. Started offering to speak on stages for free, and still being scared. And even today, even now, eight years later, I am still scared of getting on stage. But again, like we talked about, that's a sign that I need to go up, and it's a sign that I'm going to put forth the effort I need to to make it great. And now people are saying that they've never seen a speaker like me. That 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 you know, I'm getting conference directors just you know saying, you know, I have to have you back every year because you had the biggest and best scores out of everybody. And it's just super cool because I was somebody who never wanted to do it before. So that just shows you that it doesn't really matter what you think you can or cannot do. What matters is, do you really want it? And if mm-hmm. you really want it, you can find a way to make it happen.
0: I mean, do you feel like you really want it because of the impact you're giving as well as, I guess fear is driving you now for everything like you it's lean into fear things.
1: like the fear is driving me for sure because it is a I do get a little bit of a of a drive like it's a little bit weird but I get a I get like a su- I get super high after I talk it's like the, the most euphoric feeling in the world like after a performance like if you perform in, on stage in front of people like when you're done it's like wow, that like you're on top of the world and you, you kind of have all this energy that you didn't have before. That feels good. I used to perform in, you know, music wise with marching band and things. Okay. And I have very similar feelings on stage that I do on a football field uh, after after a good performance. Um, so the fear is driving it for sure. The impact, absolutely. Like I mentioned earlier, it's those comments and it's just even one person getting help. It's like you've impacted that person. And the more that you can have impact on this world, the more impact the world will have on you and I found that to be very true and then thirdly like it has had a direct impact on my business just Mm -hmm. literally giving me connections to other speakers at events like being in the what's called the green room which is like the area where the speakers get to hang out before they go on stage it's like all the other top players are there too and if you're in that room well you must be a top player too to them and so I've been able to make all these amazing connections with people by just being a speaker and getting introduced by other people. And then you start to get to know people who, and then you start to see them again later and then they start to introduce you to their friends. And then you start to get into these pools of people who you're like, what am I even doing in this room right now with all these amazing people? Oh, it's because I said yes to these opportunities and, and, and because I have worked on my craft. And that's something anybody can do. It just takes time. And patience, but it also takes a level of just okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and perform my best and and put myself in these situations to give myself these opportunities. Because you know, a lot of people go, "Pat, you're so lucky. Like you got to speak on the same stage as Casey Neistat and you got to meet him backstage." Yeah, in a sense, it's maybe lucky, but I also can go draw a line to all the things that I said yes to and all the opportunities that came my way, and I I took them that led up to that moment. So in a way, yeah, I was lucky, but it was also like, oh, no, I made this luck, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, you know, you can make your own luck.
0: Yeah. I mean, you are super hard to get to where you are. It's not really oh, yes. luck. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And when you're talking about the high, like I totally understand because when I would perform, I remember I used to like hyperventilate a little bit before going on stage, but then the after feeling and like people approaching me, That feeling was like super good. I knew I should keep doing it, but I didn't. So maybe now is the time to really face fear a lot more. When it comes to the conference you're creating now, you said it's like super scary for you. What are the steps to sort of creating your own conference? How difficult is it?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a beast unlike anything else I've ever attempted to tackle because there's just so many moving pieces. I mean, I've done live meetups before where, you know, you rent out a restaurant and you bring people in and you might be on the mic for like five minutes and then you let everybody network with each other. It kind of happens on its own. This is like a controlled event with programming elements, with stage design, with, you know, music, with lights, with experiences, with, you know, you got to feed these people, you got to you gotta put them in a hotel room, you got to make sure that there's a workbook and, and and information on where they can go to get food and, you know, swag and, like name tags and, you know, having the names on both sides of the name tags in case it gets flipped around, like little details like that. And, you know, for me, a a part of this is the fact that, you know, I've spoken on, you know, over 150 different stages over the last eight years. It's like, I've, I kind of have an idea now of what works and what doesn't and, you know, what makes a great conference experience and just being a part of these, all these conferences that uh, I think I could do it on my own. And this was just, again, one of those, another experiment where I think it's the right time to do it. And I figured, you know, instead of dedicating all this time and effort into other people's stages, like why not dedicate a little bit more time and and bring people to me instead of me going to them? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have this amazing crowd of super fans who have been with me for years and some not so long and they want to be a part of something bigger and they want to meet other people just like them. And I think I attract a certain kind of people who are very kind and empathetic, but also driven. And and I want to bring all those people together because magic can happen when you do that. Um, part of this is also finding people who have done this before who can help manage it for you because I have to be there to perform and, 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 and create content and interact with people and build relationships. Um, a lot of the other stuff has to happen behind the scenes. So a team, having a person come on to be, it's sort of like a wedding, right? It's like you are the person who everybody's there for, but we all know that you aren't the person who did all the work to make all this happen. Like you are this, you're the decision maker as the bride and or the groom, but it was the event coordinator. It was that person working with the cake person with then you going in to make decisions about like what food to have, but then you weren't the cook. So you have to find all the people who can, who can help support you in this way. And I think a large part of it is just having gone to conferences and understanding what those experiences were like and then trying to mold my own experience for my people at my event.
0: Man, yeah, it sounds like a lot of work, but I'm super excited to go. And uh, I know you're going to have like Teachable and ConvertKit come on uh, at the smart bar, right? To help people out. I wanted to get my Teachable stuff and my ConvertKit stuff going so that I can like talk to those people and get help with it.
1: I'm stoked to hear that because we're doing something different with sponsors and this is where a little bit of my creativity and my team have come into play with this to make it different is yes, we will have sponsors, but they're not going to be there with booths just to like sell you stuff. They're going to be there to actually provide support. So if you think of like the Genius Bar at an Apple store, that's the equivalent, but except of Apple stuff, it's like your email list, your online course, your podcast, there'll be companies there to actually support you with that because I think that can help you determine whether or not these companies are right for you if you haven't gotten involved with them. But if you are a customer already, it's going to help you stay on board with them even longer, which is just as good as as a new customer. So that was the idea there. And they're all really excited to be there and support you. So I'm I'm stoked to see how that turns out because it's definitely something none of them have ever been a part of either. Mm -hmm. It's definitely experimental too.
0: Cool. You promote these products and you talk about how it's almost like you're, you work there. Cause you like know everything about these products. I wanted to ask a little bit more about, um, kind of email and core stuff with you, if that's cool. Um, yeah, totally. how often do you send emails? Cause I, I don't want to bother my audience too much. So I'm wondering what's a good amount of emails to send.
1: If you had something that was really helpful for them, why do you think it would bother them?
0: That's true. If you You provide value, yeah. Exactly.
1: Now, obviously, there's a line there. Like, you could send 10 helpful things in an hour, and it's like, whoa, okay, like, slow down, person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a line there, obviously. But I I think most people err on the side of caution when they should be erring on the side of, you know, providing more value. Mm -hmm. And with email, I think it really is a determination of the expectation that you set. So if you tell people, hey, I'm going to send you a weekly newsletter, and then you send them an email every day, you're, you've changed what their expectation was versus what actuality was, and that's not good. But if you say, Hey, I'm going to send you uh, a newsletter every time I find something new that's going to be helpful for you, um, it may be every day, it may be every week. It's just as I find them, I'm going to send them to you. And as long as every email fits that sort of constraint, then People can't be angry at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, over time, you can listen. If they if they are too frequent and you're getting more more comments like, hey, this is a little too much for me, then you can slow it down and you can change it. But for me, it really depends on where people are at in the system because I have built out this in- intricate sort of email web where depending on where they enter from, if they enter based on a podcasting-related tool like my podcast Cheat Sheet, well, then it takes them into a podcast-related series of emails that then eventually get them to understand that I have a bigger premium course to offer should they be interested in it. Um, some people come in on my general list on my main website and then the first few emails are about their challenge and struggle and then it kind of works to determine, okay, well, where where does their focus want to be? What level are they at? So I can give them more information about that stuff. So, um, you know, I would say once or twice a week to start is a good uh, starting point and usually what happens is you know over time they go oh well, yes I want to opt in to get more information about this so yeah add that to my emails um, and it's 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 just something that you know you want to make sure that when you create emails for your audience you um, try to keep it simple try to keep it simple and especially with something like ConvertKit which is simple to use but also has some advanced features it can be really fun to get in the into those advanced features where you start to have like people be able to split off into these funnels and then over time split off into these and you have this giant web. Like I would start simple. If you want to tag your audience, start tagging them based on like one to three different things. So for me, for example, I have an audience of people who want to start a business, but there's different segments in that audience, like people who have yet to even start a business. And then there's the people in the middle who have started and they're getting kind of a little bit of results. And then there's the people who are just crushing it right they're also following me if i send a person who's crushing it a beginner's guide to how to build your website that's like it doesn't align with them right even Mm -hmm. though we're all interested in building business they're at a different level so what i can do is is go okay i'm going to send this email to everybody about how to build a website except the advanced audience and the medium audience who already has a website so only so you could do it in, in, in the only send it to these or, or don't send it to these. And that can be really helpful. So a good example is if you're a photographer and you start to understand like who has a Nikon camera in your audience and who has a Canon camera and a Sony camera, if you get like a coupon for Canon, like stuff, Canon lens, then you can just say, hey, I want to send this Canon coupon just to my Canon people. Because your Nikon and Sony people, like they, they wouldn't care. And that way you're not over sending them emails that don't matter to them. The most important thing is you want to send emails that matter to people.
0: Yeah. Is that, is that why you on the homepage, you don't really have like a free opt in. You make it anyone who wants to join the newsletter, they can join and then you segment within that first email.
1: It is. Yeah. And that, that one, which is on the bottom of the homepage right now, by the way, the homepage is getting redone, but, um, currently that's like, just kind of like a like a, like a a last sort of like filter for anybody on that page who's just like, oh yeah, I want to join the newsletter. Usually people are joining the newsletter on a more honed in topic elsewhere because they've landed not on the homepage, but they've landed on a specific piece of content from SEO or a link on another website or mentioned on a podcast episode or something like that. And that's where I really drive home like the path that they're on. So if I create an episode about podcasting, you can be sure that I'm going to mention the podcast cheat sheet so that people can go directly to that and they get it and they, they skip all the process of like wh- where they're at or what they need they go directly to that set of emails that are specifically for the podcasting stuff that I have because mm-hmm. that's what I know based on the actions and what they downloaded that they're most interested in and again you want to start simple with that because you could literally have like a hundred different tags it could just yeah. be this mess of a web so start simple and segment your audience into just two to three buckets at most to start.
0: How many funnels do you think you have going on right now with email?
1: Too many. Um, Too many. It's literally something that's probably gone a little bit out of control because (laughs) always experimenting with new things. Like if I could go back into time now that I know what I know, I would have just three funnels for the three different courses that I have and that's it. And just focus on driving more traffic into those and that's it. Versus we, we literally have like Four different ways people can enter the podcast segment. We have like two different ways that people can insert the enter the the mar, uh, affiliate marketing segment, and it's just like, ugh, it's like just simplifying. Is
0: that bad or?
1: It's bad because it's just harder to track.
0: Oh.
1: It's just bad because it's harder to track, and yeah. and it it just confuses people when it's like, oh, well, you mentioned this free thing, but now there's this free thing, and like, which free thing should I get? Aren't they the same thing? Not really. But then, you know, it's just yeah versus like just go get the cheat sheet like the podcast you want to start a podcast go get the podcast cheat sheet it's going to help you that's the only thing you need right now and that's it's just so Mm -hmm. much like part of our jobs as people online helping people is we, we need to make life easier for our audience and if you for example are doing affiliate marketing and you're trying to promote an email service provider and you go hey like I want to help you get your email list up Uh, here are 10 different email service providers you can choose from. They're all kind of great and they all have a bunch of different features, but like, here you go. You make your choice. It's like, you're not helping that person. You're actually confusing them more. Yeah. Versus you just stepping up and going, hey, there's like 20 different email service providers you can use. This is the one that you should use. Like, this is the one Mm -hmm. because X, Y, and Z.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: You trust me, trust my recommendation. Boom. It's like, I've helped filter all those things out for people like I've done that work for them and now they're gonna take my recommendation and if it's a good one then they're gonna go Pat like dude your recommendation was spot-on thank you for making my life easier how else can I help you because you've already you know it's like they're going through your affiliate link and they're thanking you and they want to help you out more it's like really cool versus mm-hmm. um, like hey here's all 50 cameras you can choose from and like a hundred lenses go good luck like be somebody who steps into a position where you're like no i know it's good for you like mm-hmm. i know what you're going through this is what i know will help you it's helped me yeah. it's helped these people here's a case study in case you need proving you need proof here's a video of me using it like this is what you need and that's how i do affiliate marketing i like step up and and own that product that i'm recommending
0: yeah And do you have like RSS feed stuff running where every time you post new content, everyone gets the content, everyone gets in their emails or is it like bucketed to different people or do you not even do the RSS feed stuff? How how does that work?
1: Yeah, the RSS feed stuff is interesting. So what RSS is, is, it stands for real simple syndication. And what that means is a person can subscribe to your RSS feed. And then every time you come out with something like that content pops up. For that person, wherever they subscribed um, the, to your RSS feed. And back in the day when blogging was sort of the big thing, everybody was following everybody's RSS feed and you would ask people, go subscribe to my RSS feed. And that's not very common anymore. In the podcasting space, that's exactly how it is still. You have to get an RSS feed from your podcast host to then give to iTunes, to give to Spotify, to give to Apple Podcasts. And then Apple Podcast goes, hey, did Sharon come up with anything new today? No? Okay tomorrow. Oh, there's a new episode from Sharon. Okay, let's give it to everybody who has the Apple podcast app. That's how podcasting works. But with, with blogging right now, I even though there is RSS feed stuff, I actually rely on my email list to deliver these things to people. And I uh, don't just have it done automatically. I add my own personal touch and my own voice into it. And because I have a lot of content come out, I come out with what's called a digest on Friday where I actually do bullet point every single piece of content that was created across all the different platforms, all in one email with a little bit of a snippet of like a teaser of, of why that would be important for them or if they need it or not. And it's broken down into sections. I even have a section in that email, which is like literally affiliate links for certain products that I have certain deals for. So it's all in one spot. And that's been proving to be you know pretty well received lately, which is, which is nice versus... An email on Wednesday when it come out with SPI. An email on Friday when Aspat comes out. An email on Tuesday when it published on YouTube. An email on Thursday when I publish another video on YouTube. Like, I'd rather have it all on one email versus five emails a week with separate things.
0: Okay, so you have like those set it and forget it emails, but also the ones you uh, custom like make for Fridays, right?
1: Correct. Correct. So there are automated emails depending on the funnel they're in, mm-hmm. and those are those are actually set to go out. Between Monday and Thursday, I don't have them come out on Friday because I don't want the digest to overlap them so okay. you can actually set specific parameters for when or when not to send emails.
0: I guess I get confused about like if they joined a funnel the different emails they get wouldn't it stop at a certain point if you don't have an RSS thing going and then only they would only get the Friday one right if it's like the one that's um, the weekly one yeah is that how it works or
1: yeah that that's kind of how it works.
0: Oh, okay. So it would just stop after the emails have
1: finished. It, it, would, it would just stop. Oh, okay. Or, or what you can do is if you have, let's say, the podcast funnel, and then they get to the very end of that, you know. Is this they, that? They'll get the Friday emails, but they're at the end of the podcasting one. You can actually set rules so that if when a person reaches the end of the podcasting one, if they haven't purchased yet, mm-hmm. they go into the affiliate marketing one. And then you can have it go, like they jump from there to this one that's already pre-written. And they can go through that. Maybe that's more interesting to them. Even though they said podcasting was was more interesting and that's why they started there, they've gone all the way through, which proves like maybe they weren't as interested as you thought. So you show them something else. And then maybe you have them go through that. And if you have a third segment or something else that you talk about, um, or it's, it's okay to just have the one a week email, because then maybe in that email, there is sort of that third topic that you talk about that triggers them to go read that blog post that then they then download that lead magnet on that other topic and then they get put into this new funnel so the Friday digest can still work for you for your other pieces to capture people with different interests that they have
0: okay yeah that makes sense because I'll like subscribe to certain lists and then I just keep getting emails forever and I'm just wondering like Am I missing something? Like, yeah. how does that work? But okay, that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean the, the, the most important thing is to just like literally draw it out. Like if you could draw a flow chart, like they come in here and then the next day they get this. Two days later they get that and then this, this, this. You could start to understand like, oh, maybe the maybe there's too many emails coming out during this time. Or wow, I haven't sent the email in a long time. I can probably move that up, you know. Okay. Once you see out. it visually, it's a little bit easier.
0: Cool. So I'm launching like this course on how to make passive income on. Etsy so yeah so I was listening to one of your podcasts with like Amy Porterfield and she was talking about the three-part video series Um, do you do that for yourself so I guess with your course launches was, was there something that really helped when you first did that
1: yeah with the course launches I mean she talks about this thing called the product launch formula which is derived from a guy named Jeff Walker who made this very famous sort of launch sequence which is a video pure value, describing a topic or a problem and 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 some case studies in there. And then a few days later, video number two, kind of heightening that problem and showing how some people have solved that problem. And then video number three is like the solution and the offer. And that has worked really well in uh, for many years and it still works. But it's a lot of production. It's a lot of coordination. It's a lot of moving parts. If I were to launch a brand new course, what I would do is actually pre-sell the course even before it was fully finished. Now if it's already finished, that's that's even better because it's already done. But to get to that money sooner and to get to that validation point at which you know you have students who want this thing, I would pre-sell it. I would just have the course up, for example, on Teachable with just a welcome lesson and that's it saying, hey, on this date, if we get this, you know, so so a welcome lesson in there for the people who join. And then when you promote it, go, hey guys, So a lot of you have been asking me about earning passive income on Etsy. Here's what it has done for me. And here is what I want to teach you. And if you sign up now before this particular date at this price, which is a discounted price because the normal price when I launch this publicly is going to be much higher. But what you get is you get to have me create this course for you as you go along, meaning You can deliver like a module a week for them and have them essentially like do the homework and come back with you and you can communicate with them they'll get more access to you and that way by the end of this beta period if you want to call it that you have students who have gone through and because you're getting feedback along the way they're able to help you fill in gaps that maybe you would have missed otherwise and next you would also have testimonials from people like already So that by the end, when you are ready to launch publicly at a higher price, you'll have people who can help share it, who will promote it because it's helped them already. You're going to have testimonials. So people who are like, hey, like, does this actually work? Like, yeah, it is. Look at, these are my my testers who took it and who are crushing it now. Look at them. And then finally, you would have the confidence that this thing would would actually work. And that was a big thing for me. Running all my courses have gone through a presale process with a smaller set of beta students, anywhere between 15 to up to 50 people in various courses for, for just testing it and validating it. And when, it, when I see that it works, then I'm like, holy crap, like I have a responsibility to sell this thing. I mean, there's so many people out there who need help with this. Like they just need, they need my help. And so mm-hmm. it adds a little bit of confidence to you, which makes it much more easy for people to believe what you're saying, to have that stronger messaging and emails um, in, in, in those promotions. The important thing about the pre-sales you have a specific moment that you announce it and maybe you announce it on a webinar and you show people or you announce it via email or elsewhere, wherever, but there's a specific date that it ends that they cannot get access to it anymore because you're going to be working closely with that group. And again, that is a great way to, to do like a first quote soft launch before you go into the big, more public launch.
0: Hmm, okay, I feel like I should have done that, but I like already have it basically done. Cool. It's living on my site, but I haven't really talked about it. so if if that were the case, do you think I should still do the beta testing thing somehow?
1: I mean, you can do as you can do a beta thing without having to worry about creating it because it's already created. I would say you would you could even limit it to a certain number of people for the first go around and say that this is going to relaunch later in the year but just go hey for the first you know 25 people who get in I'm going to give it to you at this price and then the doors will close. And what you could do there is if you get all this like commotion like it sells out in a few minutes or or within a few hours you go wow I did not expect that this was going to be received like this I opened up 25 more spots so mm-hmm. you know and then you can you can just kind of play on that so what I would do is actually listen to an interview that I did with Joey Korenman. let me see mm-hmm. what interview that is oh, oh he's actually in will it fly so you'll see this at the end of oh.
0: the book okay cool
1: That works. so it's one of the case studies for Joey it is um part four mm-hmm case study number one and it's literally somebody who created a online course teaching something he taught animation and he did it using a webinar and I would use a webinar yourself so that you can show people kind of behind the scenes of what you've done and how you've done it you teach a little bit of value and then you let people know hey guys I'm opening up 25 spots for my new brand new course you get instant access to it you get it at this discounted price and you get to work with me and I get to make sure that you're gonna go through the process and and, and you know, start to make some money on on Etsy, which is great. And, you know, then you could just kind of see how it goes from there. And I would definitely have like an end date to, to at least for this first go around so that there's some scarcity, meaning like, oh, I have to get it now because there's a lot of FOMO mm-hmm. that can play into your marketing. Yeah. So have a specific date when it ends mm-hmm. so that that's like your cart close. Okay. You send a, send a few emails on that last day. You could have it like a three day to five day launch. And um, then after that, just work with those students, get them through the course, get them to get some results, and then you can collect testimonials and then have another date and let people know ahead of time. Hey, guys, remember that saying that I did? Like, and I mentioned that course? Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? These people are crushing it now. And here's an example in a case study. You can even interview one of your students and have them go like on your show and go, hey, like, you know, so you're doing this stuff on Etsy now. Like, what was life like before that? What were you scared of? what was the most helpful thing that you learned during this process? And of course, they're just going to talk you up and your course. And then everybody who listens is going to go, oh my gosh, I need to get into that now. When's it going to reopen? When's it going to reopen? You can just let people know that, you know, on this date, it's going to be opening. And, you know, you can either choose to keep it open all the time so it's there generating passive income for you. And you can just say, hey, you know, for the first week after I opened it up publicly, if you get in in the first week, I'll give you a bonus. And after, you know, that way, it's another thing that you could take away Mm -hmm. that, will drive people to make purchases now. Um, and then it could just be up there and it could even be in your email sequence like down the road after you launch it a couple times, you know, after you get their struggles and you go a couple more emails deep, you can go, hey, by the way, did you know I have this course? Here's a case study from one of my students. And, you know, that's all driven in email. And it could be just automated so that when a person subscribes, you know that a week and a half later, they're gonna get an email already pre-written that promotes the course. And, um, you can pitch that for a few days and see how that goes uh, automatically to all those new subscribers. Then if that's working, all you have to do is keep getting more people to your website, keep adding to the top of that funnel and it'll just keep feeding that that those emails out to people and, and, and you can build more passive income from there.
0: Okay. Do you, do you think the three-part video series is... Um, oh, it's too much. It's too much? Oh, okay, interesting. I think
1: you, all you need is one webinar or one video
0: oh okay yeah i have it's funny because i was working on the three-part video series but this sounds like a lot better
1: or two-part like if you wanted to do one email or sorry one video that's like just kind of introducing the problem a little bit talking about it kind of like setting people up talking about the objections and then you Mm -hmm. go hey in part two i want to share with you like the real solution that i've found and so make sure you stick around make sure you Subscribe or you know, yeah, however it is that you're working through that process. So it doesn't have to be three. Yeah, um, it's a lot uh-huh. to do.
0: That. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. yeah, with Etsy, I feel like it takes a while though to get those results. So I don't know if that's going to work though? What do you think? It takes a yeah.
1: while. It takes a while, but what you can do is start to share people's wins along the way instead. So you wait, you know, six months until mm-hmm. people got results. You can just go, here's Jane. She does this. And within two weeks, she was able to get her product up on Etsy. Okay. Like, got it. That's a huge win that people would love to have too. Mm-hmm. You know, And then you can just go, you know, we're continuing to work with them to market it because that's a lot of things that we talk about. And uh, if you want to get in now and get your product up too and and join these people in my community, then then come on in. And then once you start to get those success stories and people making money, then you really want to invite those people on to start sharing their story so that other people can go, wow, this stuff really works.
0: Cool. Okay. This is like super good advice. So I know I asked a ton of questions. I do have some like last questions that are not as relevant to kind of just building a brand, but... If that's cool with yeah, you, I know we've, we've been talking for a while.
1: go for a little bit more.
0: Okay, yeah. So I guess, do you have any other investments outside of like online businesses, stocks or real estate?
1: Yeah, I have uh, put a lot of my money into a few things that are going to help secure my financial future. And I've been able to diversify that very well. So every year I maximize the amount that I can contribute into retirement accounts so that when I'm old and gray, I don't have to worry anymore. And that's great. So it's just kind of financial security there. I'm not a huge spender. So it's just good for me to start to allocate money in different ways. But I also like to have fun too. So I do have some stocks and I've been investing in stocks, sort of individual stocks for the last 10 years, just even before I got laid off, I was doing that a little bit. And so I have you know, Tesla stock and some Facebook stock and some other stocks, you know, that I believe are uh, good companies that I think are going to have some good growth projections. I also have an account over at Wealthfront, which is like self-managed accounts. So, and, and I put a certain percentage in there. So what happens is with my income, I have certain percentages that I know uh, some goes here, some goes here, some goes here. We have savings accounts for certain things. We have an emergency fund already, already funded. We've already fully funded our college uh, for kids if they choose to go to college, which is great. Um, and um, I am also now at a point where I'm doing some angel investing. So I'm taking some of that money and investing it in some companies that I believe in through a a group of people who are also, we're all kind of combining our money together to invest into these um, companies that are coming on the scene. And, you know, that's new for me. And that's literally just a few months into it right now. And it's just kind of fun and exciting because it just takes one to go big to Mm -hmm. be a big payday. But, Knowing what I know about business and having been in this world for a while, you know, it stacks things in your favor a little bit, which is which is pretty cool. So yeah, just diversification, and um, you know, I tried some other things like you know, Lending Club and peer to peer lending and and those sorts of things. But it's it's you know, for now, it's just like where can I put it to get me the most results without with the least amount of effort? Truly.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned funding your kids' college um, funds and stuff like that. So what's your belief around going to college, university? I know we both went to UC Berkeley. So I guess, do you want your kids to go to college or no?
1: I want them to do what they want to do. And I want them to know they have the option to do anything that they so please. Um, I don't want them to feel like they have to go because my wife and I told them to go Mm -hmm. because that's how I felt. Um, I really enjoyed my college career but not because somebody told me to, um, but it was because I was able to find my people there and really start to find groups where I could feel comfortable being myself. And I think Berkeley just does that to people in general. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I want my kids to have interests, whatever those interests are, And that takes experimentation, trying new things. We're also discussing perhaps like world schooling our kids, which means after high school and it can be done anytime, but it means like traveling around the world and experiencing different things and learning while doing that, which is really cool. And it would expose them to a lot of interests that they may have. And whatever their interests are, should college help support that interest? then I would say, absolutely, go for it. And we would have a 529 plan that would help pay for that already. But if they don't want to, because, and there's a good reason, because they have this other thing that is an opportunity for them and they want to explore that and there's options outside of college to help develop those skills and they, that's what they really want to learn, then, then we'll support that. Mm. I, I think just we, we don't want them to be sheep. Basically, mm-hmm. you want them to have a mind for their own and, and, and have all the tools and skills to succeed with whatever they choose to do. Now, I am teaching them to learn the skills of an entrepreneur because I feel that all kids and everybody should learn the skills of an entrepreneur. Because whether you become an entrepreneur or not, as an entrepreneur, you have to sell. You have to know how to take the resources that you have to get the things that you want to get as a business owner, but even as an employee. You need to sell yourself. You need to sell your skills. You need to be able to talk to people. You need to be able to present your ideas. And these are all things that entrepreneurs just have to know how to do to be an entrepreneur. But it's not everything everybody knows how to do. And I think it should be. So whether my kids want to be employees or entrepreneurs or something else, as long as they know they have those skills to do and, and find whatever they need and get the resources to support whatever their goals are, then, then that's a win for me.
0: Cool. Yeah, it seems like you're such a good father and I really admire your close-knit family. You. Um, do you find that entrepreneurship actually helps with family time or can it get in the way of it? I mean, as your wife an entrepreneur herself?
1: My wife's so. not an entrepreneur, but she has one of the hardest jobs in the world as a stay-at-home mom because mm-hmm. she's working 24-7, 365 with no pay, no recognition. And to more people on the outside, she's just another mom. But we all know in the family, she's like the best mom, right? So she, she doesn't, but it definitely is something that can bring us together. And it's actually brought me and my kids together. It has been something that we've been able to work on together, my business. And my son and I, we even have a podcast together called All of Your Beeswax. And they've been very interested in what I was doing. And it's because I let them in the office. I, I talk about... What I'm doing when I go on business trips, it's not oh, daddy has to go work. It's like here's where I'm going, here's who I'm speaking to, and here's why this is important. So they understand why I'm doing what I need to do, and they get interested in doing similar things as well. I've been uh, even invited to my son's school to speak to the kids about marketing and what I do, which is really fun and neat. Um, and you know, the, the the cool thing is like when I remember when I was a kid, work was the thing that took my parents away from me. Like I would come home from school, I'd be by myself because my mom would be working, my dad would be working, and then they finally come home later in the evening. Versus me, it's like, hey, like let's have my work bring us together and allow us to do these fun things. So that that's, that's really exciting. But the hard part is when you're an entrepreneur, I mean, especially when you have one of these phones in your pocket, like your business is always right there. And you can always send another email. You can always connect with another person. You can always check your Twitter feed or your Instagram feed. And it's hard to turn that off. It's like one of the hardest things in the world. I mean, we we become addicted to those things. And you have to work hard to set those boundaries, whether those are physical boundaries, like literally the only time I could work in the house is here in my office. If I am not in my office, I have a rule that I don't do work. And that helps me with my phone stuff because all the phone stuff I do is non-work outside of my office. But it also helps me put my phone away so I'm not distracted when I am in my office. So those physical boundaries help. Time boundaries help as well in terms of, okay, during these times I'm working and I know I'm not supposed to be doing these other things and vice versa. So that when it is family time, outside of work time, I can be fully present with them mentally, not just physically. Because the nice thing about having a nine to five job is you know at five o'clock you're done and you go home and you can't work because you're not at work. But when you're an entrepreneur, you're at work all the time. Mm-hmm. And so having those time boundaries is important because I can also just mentally clock out, if you will, with work and clock in with my family. Yeah.
0: What So what keeps you going with Smart Passive Income? Because I feel like you could have retired a long time ago, it seems like. And I mean, would you ever retire? Or is it just fun to keep going? What's your like ultimate goal?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I'd ever retire because I have so much fun doing what I'm doing. Um, there's no reason for me to retire. You know, it's funny because I retire means like to put to, an end to something. And it's funny because retirement traditionally is like, let me put an end to this, you know, 40 years of work so that I can now start doing fun things. Mm-hmm. But I just so happen to be working on things that I have absolute fun doing so why yeah. would I even stop yeah now that doesn't mean I'm always gonna be doing smart passive income I have no idea what's gonna happen in in ten years with technology but what I do know is no matter what I'm gonna look for ways that I can best help and serve people and that's the truth like throughout time people have always needed help and there's always people who have been needing to step up to offer that help I'm lucky to have built a platform now where I have access to a lot of people who I can help. And no matter which way the world wants to go, I'll be there to serve them and do it in my own special fun way. Um, I also am very excited about patflynn.com and the things that I'm doing there. I'm actually going to be talking a lot about education and kids and entrepreneurship there as well because that's a huge interest to me. And what keeps me going is really just just you know the the praise, the... The 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 hey Pat, like you've helped me out. Like, thank you. And I remember Mm -hmm. what it was like to get laid off and it was not a good feeling and I needed some help and I got that help. And now I'm just paying it forward with 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 help for others too. So that's what keeps me going. I just I just love it. And that and the fact going back to what I was talking about earlier about my kids, it's like what I do, my kids see. And if I can continue to help people and my kids see how how well that's making us and and how happy I am because of it and how well off we are because I'm helping people like they're going to want to help others too. And it's just going to make the world a better place.
0: Yeah. You've, I mean, definitely helped me a lot and I'm super grateful for it and it's great that you're going to keep doing it. Do you have any last words for anyone who's trying to build a brand kind of like what I'm doing?
1: Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is to expect to fail. And know that those are going to be your learning experiences. That's where you're going to get the most value out of the work that you do. You can't fail unless you do. So you can read as much as you want. You could watch as much as you want. You could listen as much as you want. Nothing is going to teach you more than doing. And it's because doing gets you to start pushing on those pedals and learning how to balance yourself on this bike we call entrepreneurship or business. And so just keep going. And the cool thing about this is there's a lot of people out there who, as you are training to ride your bike, who will help push you in the right direction, who will point you in the right direction. And the more that you can connect with those people who are there to support you, the less likely you are to fall flat on your face right, when you're riding that bike. So connecting with other people, going back to sort of round one of what we talked about, it's all about people, not just the people that you're serving, but the people that you connect with who you are also providing value to, who can provide value back to you as well. Those are colleagues, friends, your network, serve them too, like you serve your audience, and they will help you too in ways that you would be so surprised to to find, so. Cool.
0: Awesome. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with you today, Pat. I learned so much. Uh, yeah. I asked you so many questions and thanks for answering everything. And I'm sure listeners, viewers out there are going to get a lot from this as well. Pat, thank you so much for sharing all this information and thank you for speaking with me. You're
1: welcome. Thank you.
0: Okay. I don't know about you guys, but that was super helpful for me. Pat was really willing to share all of his knowledge about you know, the questions I asked him and he didn't hesitate to share the details. So I found that very helpful. He gave so much insight around blogging, YouTubing, you know, podcasting, emails, um, course launches, everything. Just how to really give value to your audience. And I think all of this can really apply to your business and help you get it to the next level. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Also, don't forget to check out his website, smartpassiveincome.com. And he's also hosting a conference called FlynnCon, which I will actually be there if you want to check it out. It's going to be on July 26th to July 28th in San Diego. I will put the link in the notes. It's FlynnCon.com. And lastly, go follow him on social media. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.